Hey, this is Jordy Wardman here, One Stop Dev Shop. You're unfortunately listening to the Sassholes. Welcome to Sassholes. We are revenue ops with an edge. With decades of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Jason, Marcus, and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Our show is supported by viewers and listeners just like you on patreon.com slash sassholes. Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In only eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in the new buyer environment. Weeks one Read the book and learn a new approach through 20 successful company stories. Week 4, all go-to-market team kickoff and receive self-reflection questions and mindset self-assessment. Weeks 5 to 7, collaborative sessions with prospecting sales and customer success on the shared journey to a new mindset. Week 8, all go-to-market team presentation and discussion. Winalytics, build the revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. Ask for Brent and say Big Pete sent you. Jordy Wardman, welcome to the show, One Stop Dev Shop I.O. Thank you for coming, my friend. Thanks for having me on, Pete. Now, One Stop Dev Shop, you got a whole bunch of like developers like in the crawl space or something and they're, you know, putting putting code together. What What is One Stop Dev Shop? Yeah, well, you would think that. Um, I've got... Um, guys kind of all over the place um, m- most of my people are are in um, in India and I've got like a guy that's sort of um, I guess you would call him the chief corraller that's out of London and so he kind of uh, corrals that well I do the corralling but he kind of checks uh, to make sure that the guardrails are up and then I've got some other guys and you know in the Ukraine and um, and in the Caribbean as well. Now I caught on to you because uh, you were on some podcasts. One of them, I believe, uh, we're talking about l- different levels of investors: one million, five million, ten million. You know, there's different levels. When somebody comes in and buys a, a company, they have different expectations. Uh, do you want to yeah. touch on that a little bit? Like, I'll kick you off at one million. You're not really buying a revenue stream. You're buying the employees, right? Okay, right. So I would say. Um... Yeah, so I think things get interesting at sort of five million because you're you're at a revenue stream that's at a million probably ARR and and there you've got pretty a pretty good idea that you've got um, product market fit and you're and you're getting uh, sort of you get you're buying into something or at sort of the ground floor and, and I would say ten million, um, you know then you're it's just even more so so th- those opportunities are a little bit harder to get because you start competing with uh some of the um the bigger sort of pe firms and maybe even some some vc so that you start paying a bit more so if i were looking at i'd be looking i kind of like the uh the sort of 500 to a million um arr kind of spot whereas you'd be looking at sort of three four million to pay uh, for a company like that. Now, now it depends on the investors. Whoever you take the money from will dictate the uh, future of the company, I would think, Jordy, because you there's a lot of money out there, or maybe there's not, but you really have to look at, you know, is, is this a match or not? Have you seen a lot of, 
not not in your case, but I'm sure you've seen things out there where somebody took the money and uh, the company became something that the founder didn't, you know, never expected or or ever wanted. Have you seen anything like that? So for the most part, I mean, I, I would recommend that um, founders uh, really are given leeway. Um, I, I had a um, I had an investment myself where we had like an 80 percent invest investor and it was you know like he was breathing down on my neck um and and the, also the other principals that were actually running doing operations injecting bad ideas you know and so he had a lot of power and since i've been in since i was in that situation i've always tried to, to avoid that so if i take on investment it's going to be like from a silent part, you know, like I, I, I look to, to get that sort of freedom to make my own decisions and stuff. So I, I'm pretty shy about taking on investment money, to be honest. So, but when you do take on investment money, it's silent as long as things are, are, are good, especially we take on a minority interest. But when things go south, typically the silence is broken, right? And yeah. I think that's true, but you know, sometimes maybe maybe that's when you want the investors to come in, and and so they might have some connections, they might have some good ideas. So you know, at, when things go south, I, I would actually welcome um, you know some ideas, some some extra, um, you know, maybe some ex access to other um, developers or whatever it is if you're in a SaaS. So um, you know, if things do, do go south and. Uh, fortunately for me, I've not been in that position, but, but if I were, and I had some investors, I would lean on them. Is there any advice you would give somebody out there? If somebody's going to come in take 80% of the business, I'm sure you got to find a good attorney to put the deal together, but any, any secrets you can, you know, just clue us girls in on, man, if I could have done that deal all over again, not your deal, but hypothetically, yeah. uh, any advice? Yes. So I like, I like, um, I like if you can like not giving away equity. Um, so like doing, you know, like sort of safe agreements, um, convertible notes, some of these things that, that you can do where it's like a, you know, you get some funds and in the future you, you give up equity. So, you know, I like that. Um, there's a great book I read on, um, on, uh, on sort of a, like a sliding scale called the slicing pie. Have you guys heard of that? No. Yeah, slicing the pie is um, this book was basically it's like equity given on uh, on kind of a sliding scale. So um, you you basically update the the cap table like almost like on a quarterly basis, and no, you know, like rather than just going say like you know you're twenty and I'm you know thirty and you know that kind of thing, and it's fixed. It's more on a sliding scale. So it's like you can do that for like, the, say, the first two, 24 months. Um, and that way you don't have a partner that's, you know, sort of not living up to expectations. Um, and, and maybe, you know, like, you know, they came in at 50-50, God forbid, and then they just not doing their part. And, you know, you, you know, I've seen people come into a situation where they're actually like a 50-50 partnership. Guy sets up the business, steps away. He's still taking like, you know, ownership, uh, you know, distributions equal to the other partner that's working like 80 hours a week. And this guy's working, you know, like five and, and they're getting paid the same and they're having to outsource 
the work that he was doing, you know. So this kind of protects uh, protects you against that. Carney, have you seen any of those? Well, I was. I, I'm not dealing with uh, the initial founders. I'm usually dealing a couple series rounds right. in. Yeah, time. yeah. This is like founder level. Yeah, this is founder level stuff, which is very interesting. And you know, the founder of our company talks about this all the time. What, what's that called? Series A, right? Your first first run in the A B C D. Is that what it is? Is it just Series Z, or you have to go public by then? I think there's even a before Series A. There's angel investors, family and friends. Yeah, there's pre seed. Yeah, there's friends and family. There's pre seed, and then there's Series A. Is kind of when you're raising. You know, you got a, like a three million dollar valuation, probably, maybe even, you know, and and more. And then every round after that is considered A, B, C, D. Uh, what's the most rounds of series that are out there? Like, is there is there who's had the most? Well, what? So what would Uber be at? You know, I think that would be. Um, you know, they would be because they haven't they haven't done their IPO, but they're they're certainly like, and they're probably stages of F. You know, like F state. You know. Um, you yeah, know, I, they're considered a Series F, right? Is that what they yeah, are? I think so. Yeah, I think that's right. So uh, if you have five hundred investors, you got to go public. Is that the rule? That's a good question. I don't know. Right, I don't know. We'll, we'll put it. We'll put it right here. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Jordy, on on the software side of things, uh, freemium seems to be picking up space as well as uh, Chat GPT. If you can get on there, that's the ultimate freemium play. Can anybody even get on there anymore? Well, I so I actually started paying for it because I got t- kind of tired of uh, waiting and um, you know twenty a month or something like that. I actually get a lot of value out of it. I, for example, like I was, I was uh, trying to say like I was trying to remember what you know I was writing something and saying is this a, is this like a disclaimer? Is this a moniker? You know, like is this a maxim? You know, and you, you could type that in to chat and it says. What I can tell, this is actually what's called a disclaimer, you know. So, you know, just remembering things like that, which Google, you know, that wouldn't be useful in Google, you know. Now, can you use that to, uh, I know you have a bunch of people in India and whatnot, and, you know, you want to yeah. keep people working, but can can that help with certain, I just think of the old days that you would pay people on lines of code, and can yeah. ChatGPT help eliminate some of that, or how could you use that? to 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 evolve because some of these people could become prompt engineers in coding i don't know no no definitely so chat gpt i've used to um you know to say like write me a test for uh for for this like user case or something this user story and it will actually like generate code like i want it to be in node and um you know what's the best practices and so it'll actually write code for you and you know, you want to be a software developer, right, to see what it's doing wrong. So you couldn't just be like a, you know, like a totally non-technical. Um, but but definitely like you can take like, a, say, like, like a junior developer and it's kind of like an equalizer. Right. So so you've got like this huge source of, of like basically unlimited um, data uh, data sets that you can take and you can bring the level of that junior developer up. Not not up to a senior, but really up to like a, a you know high to mid level guy that you know you've got things like GitHub Copilot that's checking quality of code. Um, there's all kinds of new AI coding tools that are coming out. So I, I think 
um, you know, like it's, it's a great equalizer. So if, you know, if you're paying a guy 200 bucks an hour or something like that, you still want to have these guys to check everything, but you don't need to have 20 of them. You know, you can have, you know, you can have a big blend of, of developers and start using some of these tools to, to, to your advantage as, you know, as a software founder. Is it safe that it'll get you 80% of the way there? If we just say a ballpark number. Uh, for the check, I think so. Yeah, you know, I've not found any problems. I um, so it's obviously getting better. Um, you know, it's early days. We're like six, seven months into it. But I mean, I use. It, I'm starting to use it more than Google. I just find Google so annoying to like wade through all of these different results. And so I can get faster answers from ChatGPT, and and it's usually on content that I that I'm somewhat familiar with, and says okay. Okay, that sounds like a reasonable answer. You know, I can use that, and and it saves time. I mean, is that the ultimate freemium play, Carney? I mean, I mean, there are you have to pay twenty because you can't get on. I tried to get on this morning. Forget about it. I got to find twenty bucks in the sofa back here. I mean, yeah. the interesting thing is they're writing it into all of their Microsoft, uh, you know, applications, so you can get it for Excel, you can get it for PowerPoint. So there's more and more people accessing it in different ways than just, um, you know, going to open AI or, or downloading an app. So it's just going to get worse and worse. On the developer side, Jordy, I, I mean, it, it'll help you. It'll help you not have to hire so many other people. I mean, we're this tech revolution, this is going to cost jobs for people that, that can't pivot to take advantage of it. Do you have any idea what this, how this is going to affect coders out there? Yeah, you know that's it's a good question. Um, I can see in like sort of five years, like let's say, like sort of these bespoke um, people. You know, let let's say you're like a, some kind of whatever you're a, a, a um, small medium business, and you're like you're wanting to think about uh, developing some app instead of going to a dev shop. I mean, I really could see them just coming in at a prompt and being like, design me a form that does this, you know, and it does it, you know, and then, and then uh, it says, okay, okay. On this side, you know, I need you, I needed to do this and it needs to make these calculations and here's the spreadsheet I've got the, you know, and I could envision that, you know, and, and what that does to the, you know, the, you know, whatever the hundreds of thousands of, of software engineers out there, um, you know, it's it's a good question you know i i i'm in the space myself and what does that mean to other SaaS businesses that are out there so people are saying well i don't like what asana does but if i just you know build my own thing that's that kind of works like asana but it does this because i need it to do this and it needs to integrate with this you know what's that going to do to all these SaaS? you're going to have like people just writing their own SaaS, you know like their own i mean i could see this you know and this, it's the same with design stuff. Um, Graphic design. Some, you know, like, you know, uh, draw me this, uh, you know, doing this for my blog. And all of a sudden, you, you know, like it's doing it in, in two seconds. I don't need to go to Fiverr. And, you know, you got all these guys on Fiverr. What You know. Um, I was going to say like Fiverr, gonna, yeah. Freelancer, uh, yeah. Upwork, all, all those people. Because you just brought up the graphic side of thing, I think. What do you got to pay ten bucks a month to get on that Discord server? To yeah. uh, uh, which is another freemium type deal. Now the the images don't actually come back the way 
beauty's in the eye of the beholder, but it's right. still per, pretty close. You can get that stuff going. So if you're a graphic designer, any of these people, if you're a developer, Jordy, what do you think that the, the, the new jobs will be? Like, how would they, what is the prompt engineering job for a, for a developer to take advantage of this? It's yeah, th this is, this is a really, you know, like something that's, going to be changing and just you know i think it you're obviously you're going to have to have some technical people right so the devops stuff server side stuff you get you know like ai is not going to be able to do that so you're going to have to have these guys doing that um and they're probably going to be maybe maybe what it does is you just you know you have software developers they're using these tools and stuff is just getting done a lot faster so like instead of building an mvp in say four months you can build an MVP, you know, four months, say 40, 50 grand, whatever. You can build an MVP on something in two weeks and it costs, you know, five grand. You know, you know, maybe that's sort of what's going to happen. And there's just going to be a lot more stuff out there. So the competition is going to get, um, you know, it's going to get really, I, you know, I can envision um, the quality of the apps is going to have to be so much better so that, you know, I, I came across um, this this program called Notion. Have you guys heard of that one? No, Notion.so. No. It's kind of like it's uh, it's kind of like for doing internal docs, um, but you can do like you can journal on it and things. And and I came to this software and the software is so good that like immediately I'm like, OK, I, I was, I'm sticky, right? So I, I come in, I use the software. The software is so good that I, I remember it. I talk about it. So it's just going to put uh, a lot of pressure on people to have skills on like UI and UX. So I think those skills, you know, AI is never going to be really better than a human. Um, mm -hmm. In my, you know, in my opinion, right? At least in the foreseeable sort of five to seven year um timeline so i think that's sort of where the you know people need to start thinking about like how can i make my stuff better so that it's more memorable so i can get more word of mouth and how can i find those people to help me like you know those are the skills i'm looking for so i'm not no longer really worried about like i you know like a medium uh skilled developer i'm really looking more for like specialists but wouldn't you say to be a specialist you got to do the grunt work yeah, you got to do the grunt work to be a specialist. And this tools and these tools that are out there now are kind of removing a lot of the grunt work. So in 10 years from now, how are we going to have specialists when we don't when we've removed? Yeah, nobody's doing grunt work that's done so that these people like I always tell people that are in, um, you know, we do a lot of revenue operations here. And I say a lot of the sales ops people are former sales guys that yeah. uh, getting thrown into sales ops and they might get thrown into sales ops at around 30. The people that started out in operations were getting tasked with just grunt work. And the only way they can get ahead was do more with less. Like we're going to pile all this crap on top of you. You've got to figure out how to be more efficient. Um, why is that important? Because by the time they're 30, if they're in operations and they're running sales ops or any type of operations, they're they're much more uh, prone to look at a um, a problem and uh, attack it with a, a much more advanced cycle than if a salesperson jumps into sales ops. And I'm not saying that 
that salesperson couldn't figure it out. They just haven't been put through the ringer. With chat GBT and all the AI, I almost feel like a lot of the grunt work is going to be gone for these people to cut their teeth. For my kids growing up, how are they going to get ahead and, and be able yeah. to become specialists? Well, it's, it's an interesting, I, I think it's still going to be tools. I mean, it's like designers using Figma or, or Adobe Photoshop. You still, the, you know, the software is actually doing the designs, but you got to have the skills to do it. So I, I'm not sure, like, the, it's, like, as I mentioned, what I envision is just going to be a tool to make things faster, but they're still going to have to check and know the code. And so that is still going to be the grunt work. It's just going to be, instead of writing the lines, they're going to be like checking it, verifying it, you know? So I think this, just the skill set will change. I don't think, you know, like a school like MIT is not going to go out of business, right? You know, in, in 10 years, right? You're still going to need this top engineers. You're still going to need the grunts, but it's, I think the skills will just be, will just sort of change um, similar to when, the internet first came in and guys went from drawing things and then maybe scanning it to using, you know, a, you know, illustrator and then Figma and um, these other tools. And you just sort of, they, their, their skills just sort of evolved and it's not like this stuff's going to happen overnight. So in 10 years, these guys will have evolved with the technology and they'll learn how to use the tools. And, and that's kind of what I envisioned, but you know, it, it's it's a good question. You know, I mean, what's going to happen to the, you know, what's going to happen to IT departments and software developers? Where are these guys going to sort of be in ten years? You know, uh, it's it's a really good question. I, I don't think that they're going to go away. I think you're still going to need human guidance to run these tools, but I don't see how a, a software developer, you know, like a even a good one is going to be able to compete against, you know, trillions and trillions of data sets, you know, the best ways to write things. There's humans can't compete against that. Um, uh, Jordy, uh, I'm going to get ahead of my skis here because I'm more on the sales side uh, than the tech side, but Stanford, you know, that article's out there. They spent 600 bucks and they built their own chat GPT. And, And look, for everybody out there, it's just a fancy chatbot that's been trained very well okay yeah our company our company's going to build their own version of it spend their 600 bucks is that possible um I, you know well stanford so i've not heard of that story um people can do it but why would you build something if it already exists right so so my my, my sort of the ideal situation that i see is there's when I look, if you go to like an AI directory right now, there's there's like hundreds of them now, like even in just like a LinkedIn AI, I've been looking for a LinkedIn AI tool. There's literally like 400 of them now. There's a, what, why would I go ahead and build something like that if I can find a really good tool that will sort of learn my user data? And I think that, that if that doesn't already exist, it's going to exist. So you sort of train on a user, like kind of a, on a user level. Um, so even to like a subscriber level, so like, let's say I've got, I'm a client of, um, you know, o- open AI, I build a tool and, and that tool like starts to learn about my clients. Uh, let's say I've got 5,000 clients and then even to the level where you've got one, one of my subscribers 
that 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 AI can actually learn on just that one single user. I think that's where things are going to head. Um, and and so why would you need to rebuild that? I would never you know pay you know somebody to rebuild that if somebody's already spent thirty million dollars to develop well, that. I said the reason I bring it up, Jordy, is because uh, I believe Elon Musk was in the early days of this, and it's supposed to be open source and not for profit. Now, you know, they put the governor in and now you're paying 20 bucks a month. Totally worth it. I get it. But it's technically, you know, not it's for it's for it's for profit. So if it's closed and Microsoft, right, they're they're the big boy in this. Yeah, they they could close it down and include it in their suite of uh, products. And then, you know, we, we'd have to build, build our own. Am, am I looking at it the wrong way? No, you're not. And I think any competitor against Microsoft is not going to use ChatGPT. And I also think for small and medium-sized companies, you are correct, uh, Gordy, on, on uh, the fact that why build it when you can go get it for free. But at some point or another, uh, companies are going to want or, or or aren't going to trust uh, anything besides their own tech uh, working in their own data. Data is data for a while, we've said, is the new oil with AI data is uh, the most valuable resource out there in the market today because AI is only as good as the data it's laying on top of. It's the refinery. So some yeah. of these companies, but some of these companies are going to be like, this is our data. One, I I don't trust uh, um, any code to be man- maneuvering through my data and and give and exposing that data to other people. I don't want that out there. I don't want to be exposed in terms of security risk. And um, I'm going to build my own. So I think there's going to be a time where we're probably going to overcorrect and everyone's going to build their own tool. Uh, their own bot, their own AI on top of their own data set. And then when they realize and they're more comfortable with like a, a, a SaaS type of solution that they're comfortable regurgitating their data, um, that might be open. But that's probably five years away, six years yeah. away, because they're not, yeah. they're not comfortable now with anyone touching their data. Could you could you have companies so that sort of like a HIPAA type of um, compliance agreement where like the data sets are really have to be, uh, you know, not shared. And it's like, you know, basically fraudulent if a company's caught doing something with uh, somebody else's data. I mean, it seems like you could protect yourself against that. And and Europe, I you know, being from in Europe myself, I know the Europeans are. Are you know they're already talking about banning ChatGPT in Italy, um, so there's going to have to be some some serious uh, privacy you know legal frameworks that can protect people from that. I mean I understand what you're saying, um, but I think we also will have those protections that will have to be built in uh, for this to be successful and to work. It's not ever. It's just not now, right? I think yeah. in five six years from now. You'll start seeing more and more medium-sized companies leaning in on this stuff, um, but I do think you know there's there's so much time wasted in an organization right now just on infosec uh, and uh, anything dealing with data and and uh, uh, you know all that type of data policies and regulations. And the reality is, lawyers get involved and lawyers have their own 
I wouldn't say personal opinion, but their own perspective on what they interpret the law to be, or they interpret it their own protection to be. And they're never, um, they're very rarely as a corporate lawyer looking out for anything other than I want to make sure that if there is a security breach, uh, I'm not at fault. So they're not looking at advancing the company as much as they're out there to protect their own legal perspective. Well, guys, yeah. Elon Musk is scared shitless. He wants this to be regulated and have a kill switch on this. Elon's trying to build his own. <laughs> well, he did. Yeah. He started with ChatGPT. I know, but now he's trying to build his own and he's looking for data. He's looking for more. That's why he's got Twitter. I mean, yeah. I, I think behind the scenes, guys, he's sitting on so much data with Twitter. Yeah. He's probably sure. building his own, um, you know, AI just free off speech. Of yeah. Yeah, really. Free speech according to Elon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I guess all the companies, everybody out there is going to have to really get better at critically thinking to at, at the sea level. I mean, we're going to have to answer specific. If we want objective answers, we have to give objective input in there. What does success look like? Do you, do you think we have to get better at the at the board level, level Carney? Um, no. <laughs> the board level, in my opinion is asking, uh, especially in a a macro environment that we're dealing with today, I think the board level is getting probably too involved um, and they're nitpicking everything that you're doing and second guessing everything that anyone's doing uh, to the point that it's hard to move forward uh, in general. We all know that it's a poor macro environment. I don't think we need to get more and more particular at a board level. Half the time they're asking for especially when you talk about like PE firms, they're asking for so much data that they can't even regurgitate it. They're just trying to ask for data because they can. Well, they're trying to justify What do these people make, Carney? What, these PE firms? And, and anybody at a board level. They got to meet X amount of time a year. They they get paid a certain amount of money. It looks good on their That's resume. A great, it's a great gig. Uh, it's a great gig. Most of them, if you're talking about if you're talking about startups, though, you know the um, the only people that really uh, that are really concerned about their investment in a okay environment, right? Not the macro environment that we're in now, is the last person who invested. The other people have already made two or three times their investment, so the last person that invests is usually the one that wants the most say because they want to get the most return and. For the most part, the last person that invests has the least voice until you know until you become a PE firm. So the last venture investor usually has got the smallest voice when it comes to the board, and the other people have already made two or three X their investment, if not more. Okay, so we don't need board people anymore. What about salespeople? If you have Chat GPT and you're gonna have these websites that are really robust, that are really uh fulfilling needs that people have and you can make it a freemium product. Uh, do you need salespeople anymore? Do you think the products will be so good that you will find the people that need it? Uh, Carney? No, you need sales. Yeah, I agree. You're going to need sales. people buy from people like, yeah. uh, at the end of the day, uh, you, you can do all the research you want. And, uh, 
you know, there's there's 80% of the people still buy on Amazon, but when they're buying a big ticket item, let's say they're buying an appliance, they might research it all on uh, online, but they end up going to talk to some 24-year-old kid who's selling Arnie, you talk out of both sides of your mouth because on the last show, you said that these buying decisions are made in the boardroom where somebody heard somebody else using it and blah, blah, blah. They did a search. Yeah, but I'm saying they do the research. At the end of the day, they end up calling. Well, what's the research? What's the research? Hey, ChatGPT, here are my problems. What are the top three people that I should be talking to? Do you think people are doing that? Yes, and then they'll they'll go, but then they'll go and talk to those people. They need people to talk to. I think sales is going to be important and always at the enterprise level as well. And that, that's where, you know, you're, that's never going to go away. The, the big enterprise level sales and, you know, where you're making like $100,000 a month accounts and so you're not buying, you know, anything even over maybe like a thousand or something is going to probably have to go to a sales guy. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of opportunity and, you know, that's never going to go away. Anything that's people to people, which is, you know, who, who knows what percentage of, of, well, of like HR and all that kind of stuff. Oh, to even get me started in HR, but what 99% of the, the, the businesses are small business and they're going to be e-commerce. So the small business teams, do you think we'll have less of those? Not necessarily, but I think sales is more, you you got to remember in certain cases, half of sales is marketing, right? Um, if it's a freemium, you're using whatever the the value prop is, somebody's using it and like, oh, wow, this helps. And there's got to be some governor that kicks in and, and then they inquire about more. Isn't it more valuable to have like an engineer, a product engineer, somebody to... Uh, yeah, but you got to get you get you got to get out there and get your name out there for people to use it. You can do it through marketing, but that's kind of reactive. Or you can proactively have a sales rep calling in and trying to get word of mouth out there for B two B type of businesses. And so, even though that sales rep, I would say half that sales rep is marketing, and half that sales, especially in a newer business. Half that sales rep's time, if not 75% of that sales rep's time, is PGing into companies that are good fits for your product to just become, have them become aware that that product exists. ChatGBT or any of these AI is not going to pick up on any new company out there until they start getting enough data and enough buyers to make it uh, worthwhile. So just that's, by, why, I'm, that's, that's why I'm bringing it up to Jordy here. If you're building a more robust website, and for the lack of better words, keywords, tags, whatever, you program that into the site where it's it's coming up into the chat GPT uh, search, uh, is that is that going to be the future? So, versus- so my understanding of chat GPT is that this like, uh, you know, the data is from is from 2021, right? So you're 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 not getting anything that's really um you know, from last year or even half of the year before. So that's, you know, you're going to have to get, you're still, you know, that's where you're going to get into Google's. You, you still need that, um, you know, that new stuff. Now, it's interesting to think about, you know, with ChatGPT, I mean, why couldn't some AI just go through and sort of robo start like doing all that and, and um, you know, kind of take away that sales guy's, initial response because 
you know, that whole sort of outreach that was done manually before now could just be like these, these, you know, these AIs just go through and just like kind of build the list, start to pro, you know, you know, crawl down through the guy's LinkedIn profile says, Hey, you know, Hey Pete, I saw you just made a post on this. You know, I, I'm, you know, how about we chat about, you know, can you do this? And then, you know, the, the tool sets everything up and then the, the sales guy comes in in the morning and says, okay, I got 15 calls and his calendar's all laid out. And then he's just getting on the phone and going through and the, and the, you know, the AI has, you know, sort of teed all this stuff up. I mean, I'm sure people have already got that set up. I don't, I haven't got my marketing like that, but I mean, I could see the technology going that way. But Jordy, oh, think, Carney, what about like a mirror looking into a mirror? So you got Jordy's AI yeah. reaching out and talking to my AI, trying to weed him out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way, we so um, our CEO did that at Davos. He had uh, two a sales G, uh, chat GBT talk to a a, a buyer chat GBT, yeah. and they started negotiating back and forth on a on a purchase. Yeah. Yeah. And the one that had the most data won in the negotiation. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what's going to happen. I, I, I really, you know, there's con there's these, uh, this conversational intelligence that's out there and emails and all of that. Right. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see where I think chat GBT is going to go is people are going to spin up their own sort of chat GBT type of solution for sales reps as sort of a sales, uh, add on so that when you're on a zoom call and you have your conversational intelligence going, that's sort of dictating, Every word that we have out here on the right hand side, it's going to spit out what the company uh, wants you to sort of value. Yeah. Uh, yeah. While yeah. you're on a Zoom call so that you can you can sort of enable reps a little bit better so that they're constantly looking at this and going, here are the bullet points that they want to they want me to hit on in terms of the value. And that's where I think this is going to end up becoming more and more. Uh, about individualized chat GBT type of uh, solutions. No. I mean, somebody's yeah. going to have to answer these objective questions. If it's not the C-level, because again, getting back to the salespeople, Carney, every person, every board you talk to, when you ask this question, they all choke. How many people do you want to win at your company? What does success look like? You have to specifically go go through that until you get to that level. You're going to have subjectivity out there. Jordy, take out your crystal ball. What do you see happening in the next five years in SAS? Uh, I think, you know, I think, um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I, I think there's going to be a, a lot of SAS coming out. There are going to be a lot of niche SAS. So I think going niche is going to be really important. Um, I see uh, guys coming out and trying to go into a big competitive space and they're just getting swamped and, and and dying uh, basically on the vine. So if you're thinking about SaaS, go smaller, um, go more vertical uh, rather than horizontal, and kind of get entrenched in that way. And that's and that's kind of what the direction that I'm heading is. So you know, the the better the you know the more niched out, the better because I see a lot of SaaS coming out. I've been thinking about all these tech layoffs. What are these guys doing? There, there's going to be a whole nother cohort of, of SaaS startups coming out and they're going to be good. You know, I mean, this notion software that I was talking about is really good software and there's going to be some really 
uh, big disruptors coming out, I think, in the next uh, three to five years. And so if you're thinking about getting into SaaS, I'd really like, you know, understand your problem, go into something that you really know well, or at least have, you know, someone involved that knows the problem really well and solve a really specific core problem. And I think, you know, that's going to be um, the way to, the way to sort of forge ahead in, in the software space. What do you think the classes are going to look like at, at, at college, computer engineering, whatever it is? What do you, yeah, how do you think really the curriculum is going to change? Yeah, I, I think it's, they're going to have to start using these tools and learning how to, to get, you know, I mean, now the schools know that all the students are using them, right? So they're getting tools to say, is this a chat GPT answer, you know? And so people are going to have to, you know, if they're using it, I mean, why not? It's there. It's just like using a calculator. So why can't I use it? But you're going to have to, you know, just take the data and understand what you're asking and, and put in your own words. And you're going to have to have your own skills. If you don't have your own skills, then as an owner, myself is like, well, why would I hire you? And I can do chat GPT for free, you know, so you got to differentiate yourself and kind of think in so, that so, way. So why do we need schools now? What we need are proctors that, look, Jordy, you just care if they know how to code. You give them a, I'm guessing you give them a, a project and you say, hey, bring this back to me and let me look how you do it. Why do you, yeah. why do they have to go to school to learn that? Uh, they don't. You know, maybe they don't. If they can, if they're self-taught, you know, I mean, at the end, of, at the end of the day, I use, you know, like schools as a vetting part of my vetting process now. But maybe in three years, I won't. If there's young guys coming up that you know know how to use uh, the AI tools and they can code just as well as some of my seniors, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I'll hire them. You know, but at this point, that we're not at that level yet, but. But, you know, if that happens, maybe we won't, you know, I mean, why, why spend 250,000 at Carnegie Mellon or whatever and and get a computer science degree when, when you can, you come out at 19 and get experience and, you know, just use these tools. Well, knowledge is so decentralized, Carney, right? Like, why do you have to go to, unless it's Notre Dame, I know that's where you went. Well, I think, it comes down to you, you need to be more and more specialized in college. You need to make sure it's worth it, worth the investment. Yeah. Um, you uh, getting a general uh, degree. Um, hello, sales. How, how um, the hell do you get a degree in prompt engineering? That's what everybody, that's the next. Hot well, thing. It's the skill set underneath. You need to have a qualification so that you understand code. Right. So yeah. um Somehow or other, you need to, you can either do that through college, you know, and I think the colleges need to get out of uh, charging $60,000 so that you can walk away with a journalism degree, right? Um, They're going to have to become more and more specialized um, for that to be affordable, or people are just going to go out and find uh, more specialized private institutions that teach them certain stuff. Yeah. Oh, and some of these degrees are coming out and they're online, you know, Yeah, go online and, and get a degree, uh, you know, that way. And it's a lot cheaper. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for you, for, for the young people to, to do things that way. Or a YouTube degree. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it, it's all there. You just, I, I think there's gotta be, so, there's going to be, instead of uh, universities, you're going to have proctors that say, 
I vouch that this person knows the information. Like if you take the LSAT, the MCAT or anything, you go yeah, through that process, go. right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you, t- you take the test, you put all the, the electronics to the side or whatever, and then you just take, take the test. Now, how you do yeah. that with uh, coding? Because you're going to need something in there. But yeah, uh, I, I think we just care about the end result. We don't care how you got there. That's right. Well, Jordy Wardman, thank you so much for coming on to Sassels. What's the best way for people that just stumbled upon this uh, podcast? How can they learn more about you? Uh, so so our um, website is onestopdevshop.io. Uh, and then the SaaS that I have is onestop.io. Um, so those are the two products that I have. And the 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 SaaS is kind of it's for field based service agents to kind of run their business. Um, and that's sort of as I mentioned, niching out. And and if you want to build SaaS, um, that's you know I'm on Twitter, Jordy Wardman, LinkedIn. We'll have everything in the show notes. Jordy Wardman, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, guys. It's been been a lot of fun. (laughs) Educational, I think. All right, guys. Take care. Our show is supported by viewers and listeners just like you on Patreon.com slash Sassholes. Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In only eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in the new buyer environment. Weeks one and three, read the book and learn a new approach through 20 successful company stories. Week four, all go-to-market team kick off and receive self-reflection questions and mindset self-assessment weeks five to seven collaborative sessions with prospecting sales and customer success on the shared journey to a new mindset week eight all go-to-market team presentation and discussion winalytics build the revenue organization you want request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com ask for brent and say big pete sent you